podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the last part of the season preview, which I'm del- delicately calling uh, relegation fodder. Um, it is me again, Guy. We have to finish this out. I am with Dave and Carl. How are you doing, Dave? I'm good, mate. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Carl, how are you doing? It's been an eventful 60-minute delayed point day for you, I believe. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing the, the Liverpool second-string version of pre-season and starting as I don't mean to go on. I definitely will get better. Is Carl Mabaya match it for now on? Um, so yes, we we are here with the relegation fodder as as I call it. But before before we get into Southampton, which is the first team, I mean, Dave, I'll start with you. Is there any teams that we've mentioned so far, most likely from the mid table? Do you think could get dragged into this? Because we see Leicester; they're losing Casper Schmeichel, Fafana. Um, linked with Chelsea uh, and Man City, having popped up just on social media a minute ago as well. So, a team like Leicester, maybe a Wolves, who were letting down their manager. Um, is there anyone that you see getting dragged down here? Leicester is a possibility if they were to lose Fafana or James Madison. Like losing Casper is going to be big, and they don't seem to have any money to replace him. It's, it's not an ideal situation. The Rogers thing looks like it's run its course as well. I don't think they'll get dragged into relegation. I think there's still too much quality there, but they could stumble down the league. Wolves is possible. There's not enough goals in that team to begin with. And now you've got Jimenez with two separate injuries. Um, There is a a world in which Villa's season goes sideways, but I, I, I still don't think their worst would be bad enough to see them at risk of relegation. I think Wolves are probably the only one like, if the defence failed, they'd be in serious trouble because they won't score enough goals as is. Mm-hmm. Um, none of us, obviously, are particularly high on them. Um, myself and Carl had them 13th, and you had them 13th. So we all had Wolves 13th. So that is a possibility. And I suppose the other one is Brentford. Uh, mm-hmm. Carl had them 15th, I had them 16th, and you had them 14th. They've still got work to do. It looks like Darmsgaard is on his way in, though, and I do think that's a good signing. They've done good business so far. The big risk for them would be Ivan Tony gets hurt and they are buggered because there's nobody in that squad that can replicate what he does, either in terms of his build-up play, his finishing, or his ability as a target man. So if they fail to, repl- to get an adequate backup in for him and he got hurt, that could be a major issue. So... They're probably the most at risk, but Wolves are one to watch as well because it wouldn't take much for them to end up in a lot of trouble with the, with their failure to really improve the squad, especially at the attacking end. I, I really like Nathan Collins, but I still think there's too much reliance there on 
Bruno Lage to work miracles, really, with no real attacking talent outside of Neto. Yeah, I'd probably I'd probably be the one I'd pick as well. Um, Eddie, anyone you have an eye on? Well, Pooley, um, Carl? Uh, I think probably Brentford is the one, to be honest. I mean, it's not just Tony if he, if he gets injured, to be honest, but if he has a difficult spell, even. I mean, last year when he did go off the boil for a little bit in that sort of middle third of the season, there wasn't really anybody stepping up. And that was when they went through quite a bad run of form. Um, you know, and Wissa had a few decent moments like off the bench and a bit of a decent run of form towards the end of the season. But in that middle third of the campaign, they didn't really pick up many points at all, didn't score goals. Mm. Then obviously when they brought in Ericsson, they stepped up again and Tony rediscovered a bit of form and all the rest of it. But a big part of that last season was that they just didn't have the squad depth. You know, people like Sergio Canos start the season really well, but when he went out injured, it was good old Roslev who came into the team. And when they had a couple of people like I think um, Edger and Pinnock was injured uh, in the back line and they really did struggle with that. And I don't see that they've you know, improved the depth, even if we don't talk about the quality too much. I don't really think that there's loads of options to make themselves better all around. We talked about Strakosha, he could be a step forward if he rediscovers his uh, top form in goal. But as, uh, as Dave's just said there, that in attack, it's not really going to be too much improved, too different at all. Um, I, I do fear a little bit for them if they made it made a particularly bad start to the season. Yeah, and I think quite a lot of it, a couple of injuries already for Brentford. I think um, Pinnock's injured and Canos, and I think someone else is as well. Um, but Wolves themselves, Jimenez is out for a couple of months, isn't he? So could be difficult uh, beginning for them. But we'll get into the teams, then we'll put our put our tables together. Um, we'll start with Southampton, and, and Dave, I know you like their window, but I'll go through it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex. Iwumene, I'll say go with that badly. Uh, Gavin Bazuna coming in as first choice keeper. Matthias Liz coming in as backup keeper, you presume. Amel Bella Ketchup as centre back from Germany. Romeo Lavia from Man City. Joe Rebo from Rangers. And Seku Mara from Bordeaux. Um, and they've not really lost anyone. Forster probably was first choice keeper, but then legends like Shane Long, uh, Will Smallbone have been out on loan. Thierry Small, etc. So not really losing too much there. Um, to me, Dave, this seems like this is either going to go really well or Southampton again running it. Yeah, I mean, I like the recruitment. I like the individuals they've recruited. I think Basuna is an excellent upgrade in goal. I think Bella Kotchup has a chance to be a very good centre-back. Uh, Lavia is a huge talent. Matthias Liz is apparently a solid keeper. Joe Aribo is a good midfield player. And Seiko Mara is very talented. My biggest concerns for them are that's a lot of young players coming in Mm -hmm. and their recruitment in the last couple of windows has also been largely young players. So I'm looking around looking for leaders and experience and, you know, they've got Ward-Prowse and Romeo and Bednarak. That's kind of it in the starting 11. They've got Stuart Armstrong, but he's not really a starting caliber player in my view. They've got, I suppose you could look at Che Adams as an experienced player, but I don't think he's good enough to start. Armstrong had a bad year last year. And that's my second concern is who's scoring the goals for them? Like, all the pieces that they've bought in fit, but they struggled for goals last year and they lost Broya, who they had on loan. Where are the goals going to come from? So I, I just worry that maybe the team will be a little bit too young. So if things start to go badly for them, 
is there enough there to know how to dig themselves out of trouble? We've seen this Southampton team under Ralph Hasenhutl having long stretches where they struggle. And I worry that that could get a little bit worse with all these younger players coming in. And again, where are the goals coming from? They've got to go and find themselves someone who's going to put the ball in the back of the net for them. I don't really understand why they haven't gone heavily for Ben Breerton Diaz because he fits how they play. He'd be a very seamless replacement for Broya stylistically. And the best form of Armstrong's career, Adam Armstrong, came next to Ben Breerton Diaz for Blackburn. That's a partnership we know works. So mm-hmm. for me, I'd have gone for him. Um, I-, I hope they've still got that one move left in them because I think one move kind of boxes it all for them. Well, well, the bid for was it Liam Delap? The bid like sixteen Liam million, Delap. unless that was the unless it was Mara or Delap. Was the young nineteen striker. million or whatever it was yeah. for a nineteen-year-old who's not proven at any level. I, I like. I get you're trying to build for the future, and like I said, you know, Basuno. Uh, Lavia, Bella Kotchup. I, I see the logic in these moves along with Salisu, Livermento, Diallo. I like all of these signings over the last couple of years, but you've still got to worry about the here and now. And they've got to get someone that can score goals for them in the here and now, or they are going to be in trouble. Now, I think they'll stay up because I think they've got a good enough manager to stay up. I do think those experienced players that I mentioned, the likes of Bednarak, Ward-Prowse uh, and Romeo, I think they can harden this team and, and galvanise them when things start to go wrong. But it's going to be a tough season. I have them in 17 right now. Yeah, I actually have them in the same spot as well. I mean, Carl, is there anything you want to add onto them? And um, where, where do you have them? So I think the most interesting addition they've made is Joe Aribo and because he could fill any one of about three positions for them I always knew him mostly as a centre mid but obviously towards the end of the season with Rangers who's playing a bit more advanced I don't know which role they see him playing in or whether it's going to be much more of a one behind one in attack this year something like that and he's going to play one of those roles Um, I don't think he's an amazing player, but I think that maybe he brings a a few attributes that they have lacked, especially in the centre of the park at times. Um, The rest of them, I mean, I I don't really care how good Romeo Lavia is, to be honest. He could be great, but he's 18. He's still going to be pretty bad for a spell of time. That's just what happens with Mm -hmm. young kids, Mm -hmm. even the very, very best of them. Uh, So him and even uh, Bella Kotchap as well, who I've spoken about before, I do think he's a good defender. I think he's a really promising one for the future and you can look at someone like him and Sally Sue, for example, playing together for a few years. That could be really strong. But you're still looking at a 23 and 20-year-old, if so. So you're still going to have somebody else in there a lot of the time. Uh, Bazunu, the same. I don't really know too much about him. Obviously, Dave, you, you've spoken about him and say he's a better goalkeeper than Quiv Kelleher. So if that's mm. the case, one of the best things that I like about Kelleher is that he is very consistent. Whether or not you like which level he's at, he's pretty much always at that level. I think that's an important thing for him. So if Bazuna is more impressive in that regard, then that's probably a good thing for Southampton. But overall, I don't think that they've actually improved that much at all over the summer. Um, there's a little bit better depth. Sekumar, I do like as a forward. I think he's really good running the channels, good hold-up player, and he can take a player on. But again, you can't rely on him to come in and score like, 
I'm not even talking about like a 20 goal a season player because in all fairness, there are not that many of them in the Premier League these days. But even if you're looking at them needing a 14, 16 goal player, it's quite a big ask for him to come in and do it in the first season or even in the first two seasons when he's still only going to be a 20 year old. So lots to be excited about if they can actually survive this season. But I think that others around them have improved more than they have. And I have Southampton at the minute in 18th. Yeah, as I said, with, with the opening, but it wouldn't, I don't think it'd surprise anyone if they finally did get relegated because they have been flirting with it for a few years now, um, especially the Hughes and... Um, oh, God, who was that other manager? Pellegrini, Pellegrino? Pellegrini, whatever his name was. Um, yeah, so it wouldn't. I don't think it'd surprise anyone, but it's a lot to gamble on, the youngsters, as you say, and for their sake, maybe one more experienced striker or not even experienced as someone mid-20s rather than 12 year old would probably do the business but yeah uh, I think it's going to be a tough but strange season for Southampton um we'll move on to Everton and Carl I'll stick with you for this uh transfer business they brought in James Tarkowski Ruben Vinagre uh Dwight McNeil and they've also lost uh John Joe Kenny Richarlison and youngsters we don't care about yeah, they were obviously pretty horrid last season and basically stayed up because there was three worst teams. I know I think they finished 16th or whatever it was, but they were awful. Um, I like the deals, but Richarlison was such an important player, even though I don't rate him that much. But he came in clutch at the end of the season and I don't think they've replaced that and it's a lot to gamble on Calvert-Lewin's fitness. Yeah, I mean, they definitely need another center forward or someone who can at least play there because, I mean, off the outgoing list, you missed out the mighty Chen Tolson and the fantastic impact that he had after the uh, let's not forget. He's, he's that important, Carl. He's not on the Premier League list of, of people. <laughs> <go>. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I mean, like, I do like the business they've done. They've put together what could be a very, very interesting, at the very least, left hand side of the pitch. When you think of Mikalenko already there, Vinagre coming in, who I think all three of us actually liked when he was at Wolves. And McNeil, obviously, down that side as well now. So it could be that McNeil goes to that left-hand side and they play the either the 4-2-3-1 or the 3-4-3. And either way, they've got that side of the pitch boxed off. Or they've got the in-from-out wide forwards with uh, McNeil and Townsend from one side, obviously, and Anthony Gordon and Damari Gray on the other mm-hmm. side. So they've got mm. plenty of options in terms of the support players. I assume, but we all still assume they're going to still try and get the best out of Deli Alley somehow or other. There's been a couple of games. Really, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've, I've not watched them in preseason, but um, a couple of the guys I've worked with have seen a couple of the games and say that it's been quite a clear emphasis on trying to get Deli Alley into much, much more advanced positions. So if they're using them as a 10, uh, you know, a goal scoring 10, basically, a second forward, that's a really, really big addition to the squad if you can make him somewhere even like 70% of what he was when he was somewhere near his best but you're still looking at a really really big problem if Calvert-Lewin either doesn't get the ball anywhere around the penalty spot or six yard box because that's where all of his goals come from or else if he gets injured I mean like Alex Awobi had a really good sort of end to the season last year he was one of their more important players but I don't think you can probably rely on him to be an attacking outlet you can't really rely on him to be a massive creative force if there's not a really good movement um, based forward ahead of him. And at the minute, the alternative is just still rubbed on. So it's kind of like almost as though they're, they're still building the team just to put lots and lots and lots and lots of volume into the penalty area and see what happens at the end of it. Um, I think the first few weeks are going to be 
really difficult for Everton and also really instructive. And I would not be surprised if this is one of the teams we see do like four deals in the final week of the window. Well, that's the thing, Dave, I was going to ask you. I mean, they're linked with, I think, Idris Aganagay seems to be the next transfer coming through. Mm. I know Alan's fallen off, but I don't think he's better than Dakure. And Alan, albeit, was kind of, couldn't move last season. I don't think it's that big an upgrade. Um, yeah, it seems a lot of gambles on late business in the window. I mean, Maxwell Cornet is linked, obviously, but he's not exactly a Calvert-Lewin like for like if he gets injured, as we said, and the wing's not exactly their weak area, as we said. No, I mean, like you guys, I like the moves. I like Tarkovsky. I think it's a really good addition. He's comfortable in a two or in, a, in the middle of a three. Uh, McNeil... He's not a like-for-like replacement for Richarlison, but he is a good player and he can be a good source of, you know, chances for Calvert-Lewin. And I really like Vinegra. And I think if they go to a back five with Godfrey, Tarkovsky, Michaelenko, Patterson, Vinegra as the wing-backs, that's everybody in their best and most natural position. That suits everybody. Mm -hmm. There's a big hole in the middle of the park. You've got Ducouré. You've got nobody you can rely on to start next to him. Idris Aganagay does not solve that problem. And then if you go 3-4-3, three, three, there's no spot for Delhi, who, as Carl said, they've been trying to work into things in preseason. You'd assume it would be McNeil on one side and Gray or Gordon on the other, Calvert-Lewin up front. But as Carl said, who's the replacement if Calvert-Lewin gets hurt? Now, rumours are they want Michi Batshuayi. Oh, God. I mean, I like him, or I used to like him, but it's been years since he did anything. It's 2022. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And and the other players that have been linked with, I mean, Ross Barkley, he, he had a decent four months at Villa, and that's basically all he's done in, in five years. Billy Gilmore, to me, last season, didn't look like a Premier League caliber player. Now, I will say in Nietzsche Batshuayi's defence, he scored 14 goals last season in Turkey, so... It's not a bad return, but then Cenk Tusen scored for fun in that same Besiktas team in Turkey. So it doesn't really say much. And they've just signed Cenk Tusen and Vut Veghorst, both of whom struggled in the Premier League, to replace Michi rather than keeping him. So there's a world in which Everton finished 14th because there's enough good players there. You know, you can look at a 4-2-3-1 or a 3-4-3 and you can piece together a good team if they add one in midfield. But that one in midfield is not Adrissa Gay, it's not Ross Barkley, and it's certainly not Billy Gilmore. But there's also a world in which they finish 18th. And that's the world that I think we live in because there's far too many question marks. The recruitment doesn't seem to really have a direction. It seems to be very much kind of scrambling around, trying to find players that, A, are not very expensive, and B, are on low enough wages. They've also got the worst manager in the league, and I think he's the worst manager in the league by a considerable margin. Mm -hmm. I would go as far as to say that the gap between him and the next worst manager in the league is bigger than the gap between that manager, 19th, and whoever's fifth after... Klopp, Pep, Conte and Tuchel. Whoever you want is fifth. If it's Ten Hag, fine. Potter, fine. Moyes, fine. 
I think the gap between them and the guy in 19th is smaller than the gap between 19th and Frank. And I've got Everton going down because I think Frank is terrible. And I think when push comes to shove, he'll start throwing players under the bus. I think he'll lose the dressing room quite early. And I think unless they're willing to just bite the bullet and bin him as soon as it becomes Mm. obvious that they need to bin him, whereas last year they waited months to get rid of Rafa, I think they're going to be in major trouble. And who replaces them? Like, who's going to look at Everton and go, right, so Rafa went there, they sacked him after six months, Lampard's been there, they've sacked him after ten months, squad's a bit of a mess, not a whole lot of money to spend, questionable owners, questionable decision makers, no sporting director of note. Who's going to look at that job and think, oh, yeah, sign me up. Sign me up for that. It's Sean Dyche. It probably is Sean Dyche. Now, if Sean Dyche comes in, he might scrape them up. Uh, But I'm going to pick them as my team to go down. I'm going to have them 18th um, because there's too many questions. They haven't recruited in midfield yet. There's a lack of depth in key positions. Like if if Tarkovsky gets hurt, they're screwed because Mm. Michael Keane is garbage. Yerry Mina can't stay fit. If Patterson gets hurt, do we really want to see the corpse of Seamus Coleman out there again? If Pickford gets hurt, now I'm not a big Pickford fan, but he's better than Asmir Begovic. So I, I just don't see it with them this year. There's a word like it's not a terrible squad. It's not awful. There's the bones of something good there under a real manager. Like if they'd gotten Dyche in, in June, I could happily see them finishing 14, but not under Frank. I've got them 18 and going down. I have them 19th. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was fun. So, uh, Carl is the most pro-Everton person on this podcast. Absolutely. Toffee, yeah, Carl. I, I have them 16th. I think Everton are going to be one of the really streaky sides in the league. I can see them going runs of eight and nine where they don't pick up hardly any points at all. And then some of the time, they're just going to be these teams that just go and win two or three in a row. I can see that quite early on, for example, if, if they do make it. A reasonable start, you know, they've got Forrest and Brentford and Leeds all in a row. These kinds of games, I can see them, especially off the back of last season when, you know, what their fans are like. And they really did get behind them when it became apparent that they thought that they were doing something. And I could see that at least it starts that way again for them. And I do think that they'll pick up enough wins in clumps just to be one of those uh, just about do enough to survive. A bit like a bit like Palace were on Hodgson. The problem is, Carl, if we look at their first 10 games... Chelsea at home, that's really tough. Villa away, lose that. Forest at home, two of the next three I've got as as they have to win, basically. They have, but they have to win them. So it's Mm -hmm. Forest home, Brentford away, Leeds away. I don't think they win two of them, by the way. Then it's Liverpool at home, then Arsenal away, West Ham at home, then Southampton away. That's a game that's winnable for them. And then United at home, that's winnable for them. I think there's three wins there. But then it gets tough again. It's Spurs away, it's Newcastle away, it's Palace at home. That first 13 games, they might be in a big old hole after that. If they don't win five of those games, I think they're going to be in major, major trouble. Probably. <laughs> I mean, five is how many <laughs> Norwich won all of last season. So <laughs> I don't know that they're going to have to win quite that many that early. You know, it's eight, nine wins probably is enough at the minute to stay up because there are some truly abysmal teams and managers around, but we'll see. 
we'll see. If, it, if it's a bad start, I, then I agree. I think it, they'll they'll react a lot quicker than they did with Rafa. The only thing with that, Frank's the only manager the fan base, well, it's only been a short amount of time, but it's literally the only manager the fan base has got behind since yeah, and we've the seen, first year of Coleman, Coleman. Yeah, but we've seen what that fan base does when results don't go the right true. way. And results quite often don't go the right way. Very true. So that could get toxic quite quickly. Uh, where did you have him, Carl? 16th, did you say? Yes, 16th. 16th, indeed. Uh, who do we have next? I think it's Leeds, just to double check. It is Leeds. Uh, Dave, I'll start with you. Almost similarly to um, Southampton, but Southampton didn't lose their two best players. There's a lot a lot of moves here, and it almost feels like quite a lot of gambles, signing players from Austria and Holland and Man, uh, Man City's academy and, and Bayern's basically B team. Um, but I'll go through the names. Brendan Aronson in, Rasmus Christensen in, Mark Rocker, Darko Giabi, uh, Tyler Adams, Louis Sinistera, Sonny Perkins, and they've lost loads of youngsters and Calvin Phillips and Rafinha. Um, yeah, I know you like, quite like the business, but it's a lot of turnover in a season. And as, as I keep saying, lost their two most important players. Uh, to Dave, that one. I'm a Jesse Marsh believer, and I think he, with a full preseason, not playing the reckless brand of football that got Bielsa in trouble, not being so dogmatic that he's not willing to change, I think these are things that will help them. Um, they're going to have Bamford back. That's a massive plus. I think Rasmus Christensen's a massive upgrade at right back. As I've said before, while neither Rocha or Adams are individually as good as Calvin Phillips, I do think the pair of them is better than Phillips plus anyone that Leeds are playing next to him last season. I do like Brendan Aronson, and I think he could have a bigger impact than people expect. I think Sinistera is very, very talented and could have a Rafinha type of impact. Mm. I wouldn't expect much from Gabby. I wouldn't expect much from Sonny Perkins. They they still need some pieces, like they still need a backup striker. I still think they need a starting centre back because Liam Cooper is a championship player. Robin Cock is always injured. Uh Struyik is young and makes young defender mistakes. The only one I'd really trust there is Loriente, and even he's not without flow. So I still think they need to strengthen there, get that backup striker in. I'd like to see a bit more of an experienced goalkeeper in, even just as a third choice to mentor the two young keepers. And a backup left back because you might just have to uh, move on, like leave uh, Junior out of the team at some point during the season because he can be a bit streaky. I like what they've done. I think losing your two best players is difficult, but I do wonder if on balance they're maybe a little bit stronger overall and less reliant on one player in Rafinha to do all the attacking stuff and less reliant on one player in Phillips to do all the defensive stuff. Maybe they're actually a team this year. So I have them staying up. I have them in 15th. I do as well, I believe. Yes, I do. Uh, So, Carl, you are obviously... Kind of mates with Jesse Marsh. <laughs> uh, so I don't think we can say it on the podcast, but you know, <laughs> we all spoke through. Um, 
Uh, but yeah, Leeds, an interesting summer. I mean, how, how do you see it doing? And do you ever forgive them for not having the American podcast last season? Uh, yeah, I suppose I'll get over it. Um, I, I I think they'll be fine. I think that one of his best attributes is basically team building. And what he's got here is an opportunity to build almost a brand new team, or at least, you know, 40, 50, 60% of it by the time the transfer window's done. Uh, I agree that overall, they might not have the individual heights that Rafinha and, and Phillips were able to reach, but they're a better team. They, they will be much, much better put together. Yeah, I think uh, Sinister is, is actually going to be one of the most impactful players in the Premier League. Uh, you know, Maybe, again, not to the individual levels that some of the players signed this summer could be, but in terms of the impact for the team, I think he's a great signing for them. Really, really good. And the other thing that I think is important, well, I wouldn't be surprised if they got another more experienced sense forward. I think actually Joe Gelhart will be much better for them this season. I think he's going to benefit a lot from not having to start the number of games that he did last year. I mean, he was a 19-year-old kid and he played over 700 Premier League minutes last year, which doesn't sound like loads compared to like, you know, starting players, but he should have been someone who maybe made what, 14, 15 appearances off the bench, something like that for maybe a total of four or 500 minutes, but they had to rely on him because they didn't have anybody else to play and he was really good. I think he did more than could have been expected of him, to be honest. Obviously, he was never going to be like a free-scoring player because they were a bit of a shambles and he was very inexperienced and raw. But he would learn a lot from that. And now he should be able to go back to being you know, like an impact player off the bench for another year and all the rest of it. So I, I think that he benefits them. I think the signings like Sinistera in particular benefit them. I, I hope that we don't see too much of Crescencio Somerville. I've read a report that he's getting a new contract, but I've yet to see any evidence. Of uh, he got it today, I think, I think. Him and, oh, did he? There you go. I think him, Gelhard and Greenwood got Sam, one today. Sam Greenwood, yeah. yeah. And they yeah. Got, all three of them got them today, I think. Right, well, well then we'll, we'll just have to assume that Somerville has some sort of footballing ability because it hasn't been on show so far. Um, the only thing I wonder about is like where Brendan Aronson, for example, is going to play. Uh, if it's going to be a bit more of a structured 4-2-3-1 and he's going to be sort of in the 10, then you're looking at either Rodrigo or maybe Dan James is not going to get a whole lot of game time, something like that, because obviously we expect um, Jack Harrison still going to be a regular and Sinistera coming in is obviously going to be regular. So on the one hand, the, the better depth form is obviously going to be a, a big improvement. Uh, I agree with Dave that they definitely need somebody at least for left back, but if not, someone who can play left and centre back would be ideal for them. Uh, I do like Pascal Streak, but he has quite big errors in his game at times. Mm. So I like the, the the basics of what he can do. But the best thing about it of their summer so far is that basically they haven't spent any money. Like they've spent ninety eight million or so, but they've got in about that amount as well. So they've not overstretched themselves. They've they've managed to bulk up the squad and make it stronger in certain positions without spending any money net. So they, they presumably would still have, if they needed to, another 10, 20, 30 million maybe to go out and strengthen on those last they two. Had a, they had a 25 million bid in or, or, or something in that region for De Ketelier, but he decided he wanted to go to AC Milan. So there's definitely mm. money there. And yeah. I think Jesse Marsh said recently they were looking at a few others. I know they were looking at Calamundo from PSG. They apparently had a bid in for him. So there's definitely money there. So you'd hope that it will get spent. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I do think that this could be a, a pretty good building season for them, to be honest. I, I really like the addition of um, Christensen and Tyler Adams as well. I think both of them make them a lot more of a solid side compared to the 
um, erratic nature, shall we say, of some of the players that they had in those positions last year. Uh, again, they've got good versatility, which that was always a big uh, positive thing from Bielsa's squad anyway. But people coming in like Aronson, Sinistera, Adams, they can all play multiple positions. I think Mark Rocco, if they get him back to sort of the best levels that he did show when he was over in Spain, then I wouldn't be surprised if he's only there like a couple of years and then another big team tries and takes him again and give him game time. Because when he was at Espanyol, really good defensive player, but also very, very good controlling player in possession. So he could be, depending on how he does, obviously, and how over, uh, over the top the reaction is towards him, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a few headlines saying, oh, they've got rid of Calvin Phillips for so much money and they've actually upgraded him, that kind of thing, because Rocco was a really, really good young player. Agreed, agreed. And I, I like the pairing of him and Adams. I think Rocco has that ability to shield the defence and he's, like you said, he's very good at controlling the tempo of play and he's a good distributor of the ball. And then Adams is a really good ball winner. He's got a good driving engine on him. And he's got that versatility. So I, I really think the pair of them should be fairly well suited as sort of a, I don't know, a, like a Poundland version of Alonso and Mascherano in a way. That sort of combination, a, a dynamic ball winner and sort of a sitting controlling player. So that could work. And if Aronson is the 10 and Harrison is right wing and uh, Sinistera's left wing with Bamford up front. That's very, very strong. Overall, I do think that's better than what they had there last year and the year before. It also means less of the championship level players they've been playing regularly. Christensen and, uh, and Junior in the second year hopefully kicks on and their fullbacks are, should be good. Lorente, if he stays fit, one centre-back. Yeah, I think Melier is a talented goalkeeper, just a little bit error-prone. But that second centre-back position to me is a concern. Uh, Leeds can't really afford to have a big negative impact position in their team because they don't have great depth. They've got a lot of young players, but not a lot of ready players. So they've, they've, got, to, uh, they've got to upgrade that position for me. Yeah, it should be interesting to see what they do with the remainder of the window. Uh... Did you say your spot for them, Carl? Or do you just say they'd stay up? Can't remember, but I got them 14th. Okie dokie. Right. Moving on to another team that needs to do a lot of business uh, is Fulham. We're going to do it. Uh, Fulham replacing Burnley, etc. Because they they won the championship. But Carl, Fulham, uh, their window so far. Joe Perlinia in, who is apparently good. I can't say that name. Uh, Callum McFarlane. Andres Pereira, Mana Solomon, and Kevin and Babu in. Uh, oh God, that's a lot. Oh my God, that's a lot of people have lost or loaned out. Uh, is anyone actually of note there? John Michelle Starry. That's about it. I'm not going to read all them names. Screw it. But Carl, uh, Fulham are doing Fulham things and leaving everything to last minute. So yeah, I like um, Marco Silva as a manager. I like some of their players, but. <laughs> They haven't really addressed the defence, which is still the same defence from last time. It just doesn't have Dennis Adoy, the worst player in Premier League history, in anymore. Um, <laughs> I think but, yeah. what you can see in Fulham's transfer window is the horrendous nature of what they did in their other Premier League transfer window. Like all those players who have left, Cyrus Christie, Fabry, who they bought as like a second-stroke, first-choice goalkeeper when they came up, I think, two times ago. Michael Hector, Alfie Mawson, the possibly 20, the worst combination we've ever seen. 
uh, Seri, who they spent a fortune on, I think he was a club record signing at the time. They've all left this summer, and I don't think they've got money for any of them. And obviously, Fabio Carvalho is the other one who we do know about, and he's a big loss for them. Um, so I, I almost have sympathy for them because they made such an absolute mess of things uh, when they came up under uh, Slavisi Akanovic, I want to say. Was that who it was in charge at the time? And mm, then they. The first time, yeah. Yeah, the first time, yeah. And they spent all that money. It was terrible, terrible recruitment policy. Mm. They got rid of him. They brought in Claudio Ranieri. I think he got sacked about two, three months later as well. Ended up with Scott Parker and got relegated. So that was one of the worst promotion seasons I've ever seen by anybody. So they're kind of trying to do things a bit more structured, I think, this time. But it is, like you say, quite slow at the moment. The individual players they brought in, I have no problem with at all. I think that's actually really strong upgrades in probably every single one of them. The one I don't know too much about is uh, Mano Solomon, obviously, who's playing uh, with Shakhtar, but he's really highly rated. I've not mm. seen loads of him, and obviously he wouldn't have been playing recently, obviously, either. But again, very, very highly rated player. Uh, Kevin and Babu, I love. I think that's an absolutely superb signing for them. Andreas Pereira, I've always quite liked Pereira, to be honest. I know he's not like an unbelievable talent, but compared to some of the others in similar positions like Lingard and that, who United kept around and kept Lone and Pereira out, I think he's better than them. I think yeah. he's often been better than most of those players they kept, to be honest. So individually, good recruitment. Overall, definitely still lacking some bits. Um, I would say in goal is the first one. I don't really like Rodak and Gazaniga is not Premier League quality, has never been Premier League quality. I don't think even as a backup is arguable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leno's having so, his medical today by the sound. Yeah. 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 So that, that, that at least gives them Premier League quality. I mean, I'm, I'm not a bad Leno fan. I don't think he's that good, but he's better than what they've got, obviously. And he is a, a Premier League capable stopper. So Mbabu, Tosin, they're two really good players. That's like one half of the defense, but you need one more. Even if Anthony Robinson does turn out to be, you know, the one that was it AC Milan tried to buy him a couple of years yeah. ago, and then, yeah, yeah. So but he if, was if good he, the last time they were in the Premier League. Like he did play yeah. well. The yeah, defense but he lost his wasn't the issue when they. Yeah, they changed around system quite a bit, and he sort of was in that the team then. But if I, I didn't see enough of Fulham last year, so I'm not going to say how good he was or anything like that. But if he can be as good as he was at the time, or as good as they they were hoping that he would be then, and bring in one more centre back, I, I think that that's actually fairly well set in defence but they don't have that at the minute and I think the midfield, actual central midfield is severely lacking still. Yeah, I mean, Dave, is it probably going to be Paulinho and is it is Harrison Reed still there? Harrison Reed's probably mm. the other starter there yeah. as well, which isn't a bad pairing at all. Paulinho's really good, like really good. I'm surprised he went there rather than Wolves. Harrison Reed's a good player. We know he can play in the Premier League. They've got Josh Onema who's another good player, so he can do a job. I'm not a big fan of Kearney. But, yeah, one more depth piece in midfield wouldn't go amiss. But starting goalkeeper has to get done. That Leno deal has to get done. They desperately need that starting centre-back in because you can't go into the season with just Tosin and Tim Ream. That's all they have. They don't have any other centre-backs. So they don't just need one. They need at least two centre-backs in. A starter and a squadner. Who? Congolo? No, he is gone. Uh, where did he go? I read something about him the other day, actually. Was... I don't think he was going to play either way, man. <laughs> uh, oh, no, he is still owned by Fulham. He is still owned by Fulham. And he played one game. No, he didn't play at all in the Championship last season. 
Beautiful. Not a, not a single game. He has played... Remember when we fought just one got game. <laughs> Fulham just... bought him two and a half years ago, and he has played four games total for them. I know he's had some injuries, but that is a shambles. Um, and I think he's more of a left-back at the Premier League level anyway. So he could be the backup left-back that they need as well. On the score um, Brian or whatever his name is? The one who scored. Joe Brian's just not a, he's not a Premier League player. But the problem for me is not the players they've bought. I like him. I like him back, though. I think he's a good player. They haggled for two weeks over a million quid. Bernard Leno should have been in a month ago. They've haggled and haggled over a million quid. The same thing with Andreas Pereira. They haggled over the smallest amount. Manor Solomon took too long to get done. They almost lost Paulinho because they haggled and haggled over minimal amounts. Like, I get that they're trying to be clever here, but all you've done is set yourself back. Your manager is in the press the week leading into the season saying, we're not ready for the start of the season. He's openly calling out the club for not recruiting properly. That's not a good situation. And this is the third time they've bungled a summer transfer window. And I don't care who they get in at this point. Bernard Leno's not going to be ready to go on Saturday. He's just not. Even if he's in the team, he's not going to be prepared. A centre-back is not going to be ready to go on Saturday. So they're already at a disadvantage. They came up that time, Carl mentioned, they bought a load of crap and they bought Zambo and that was the only good signing they made. And they went back down with three managers in the season. The last time they came up with Scotty two coats, they didn't do anything for months. And then in the last three weeks of the transfer market, they signed about 14 players. And it was too late at that point to get everybody settled in. Parker had to start the season with a bad team and then work everybody in. Now, I think he's a fairly mediocre manager anyway. But they left it too late. And they've left it too late again because there's nobody focused on recruitment and decision-making in Fulham. The guy who does it is in Jacksonville and he's too far away and he's too busy with the four other businesses that he's running and the other roles in professional sports organizations that he has. They need a sporting director on the ground making decisions day to day. Simple as that. Until they do that, they're going down. I have them in 19th and I'd be stunned if they stayed up. Yeah, I think if you look at the team, it, if you go from the front backwards, it's not too bad, but it just progressively gets more championshipy as you go. I mean, Mitrovic, he has done it in spells in the Premier League, but Scott Parker and him obviously fell out. Harry Wilson, I think he picked up an injury, not sure how long it is, but him, Pereira and Solomon behind Mitrovic should work. Uh, midfield, as we said, Paulinho Reed, But then well, the, defense... that, the only thing about that three behind the striker is it's very one-paced. Like, there's no real game-breaker there. Mm. You've got Wilson with his shooting ability, Pereira with his creativity, and Solomon's a good player. But, like, Fabio Carvalho was so important for them last season. And it was his partnership with Mitrovic playing just off him in that 4-2-3-1. That was what really unlocked a lot of what Mitrovic was doing as well, because... Carvalho was making runs and dragging defenders and leaving Mitrovic in one-on-ones where he could dominate people physically. Pereira is going to play a much deeper number 10 role, which means both centre-backs will be locked in on Mitrovic. And they are entirely reliant on Mitrovic for goals this season. Mm -hmm. Wilson will get you 8 to 10. 
Pereira might get you six. Solomon, I don't know. He hasn't kicked the ball in, what, eight months? Because of what's going on in Russia. So, uh, who knows? Who, it's going to be a very difficult season for them. They're going to be so reliant on Mitrovic for goals. And we're yet to see him consistently do it in the Premier League. And he's had three or four bites at the apple now. So, I have my doubts over him as well. It's just, this was a this was an opportunity for them to do things right. To get out early. You had the league wrapped up. You should have been recruiting from the minute you knew you were coming up, you should have had players lined up to come in the door. And here we are, four days before the season kicks off. Your goalkeeper's not signed. You've got bids in for like six different centre-backs, all different profiles. No real plan, no structure here at all. No depth at centre-back, no depth at left-back. Maybe lacking a bit of depth in midfield. Maybe lacking a bit of depth up front as well. To me, it's just... No, they've just fallen short again. And like I said, Fulham fans should be really annoyed. I, I do think the cans want what's good for Fulham. I just don't think they can give the time that's needed for Fulham to run it on a day-to-day basis. How are you running an NFL franchise, two wrestling organizations, one of which is the second or third biggest in the world, and your actual businesses? The father owns that massive company that sells aftermarket tools, and the son owns that analytics and data company. How do they have time for Fulham? They just don't. They just don't have the time. And everything's done by Zoom calls and by WhatsApp, and at times there's going to be too big of delays, and deals are falling through the cracks. So, yeah, for me, sorry, but they're going back down. Yeah, I have them, I think, myself. I think... (laughs) If, if they could get ready-made players in in the defence, I think they could stay up. But, yeah, they're bas- basically doing everything possible to limit them their chances of survival. Uh, Carl, where do you have them? 19th down. Sounds about right. Uh, Bournemouth, 20th, yeah? Yeah, Bournemouth, 20th, going <laughs> yes. down. Yes, yes. <laughs> Bournemouth, 20th. Like, don't get me wrong, I like Tavanier, I like Rothwell. They're good players. Ryan Fredericks is not a Premier League caliber player. The other two have only shown they can play in the Championship. We're assuming they can play in the Premier League. But they haven't filled the gap at centre-back yet. They don't have a backup goalkeeper of note, don't have a backup left-back. And I think even if they get a good centre-back in, now it'll likely be Nat Phillips, so not a good centre-back, I still don't think they're going to do enough. I, I just think that's a fairly mediocre squad at the Premier League level. It's a good squad at the Championship level. I also think Scott Parker is a poor manager. Scott Parker might actually prove my theory on the manager's thing wrong. He might be closer to Frank. Ah, you see. You've ruined it now. I was going to ask you. I was going to yeah. ask you this. He, he <laughs> might Parker's, be closer Parker's to Frank. Parker's got two teams promoted. He's, he's, but that's the thing. He's but well that's clear. The thing. He has got two teams promoted. And he didn't have the favourable terms that Frank had at Derby where Frank spent fortunes, drove them into the red and eventually practically bankrupted them and was getting the cream of the crop on loan from Chelsea. So Parker didn't have that in either stop. So, yeah, Frank is... Sorry, Scott Parker, while he's a ridiculous man who wears two coats, he is substantially better than fat Frank Lampard. Yeah, as you mentioned, with Silver, I think um, Parker came out today and said Bournemouth aren't ready for the uh, 
through the season as well. So two of the promoted teams basically not doing enough. Uh, Carl, anything to add on Bournemouth? I mean, I have no idea. I'm guessing they're still rocking Jefferson, Lerma and Co. That's all about I know. I have nothing to add on Bournemouth at all. Yeah. Big up Jefferson. Let's talk about the one club who've come up and done things the right way. Yeah. Uh, just to not be rude, Bournemouth have brought in Fr- uh, Frederick Rothwell and Tavernier, as you said, and lost people. But yeah, uh, we all have them 20th, even if they signed loads of people. I don't think it changed much. But uh, Forest, I shall scroll to their transfers because there's about 200 of them. Give me a sec. 13 players in. That's what I said. Uh, <laughs> Nottingham Forest. Ryan Hammond, Hammond from Millwall. Taiwo Awoni from Union Berlin. Dean Henderson on loan from United. Julian Biacordi from Troy's. Troy's? Trois? How do you say that? I go with Trois. Trois. Um, Neocarty from Mainz, Omar Richards from Bayern, Nico Williams from Us, Wayne Hennessy from Burnley, Brandon Aguilera from some team I can't pronounce, Harry Toffolo, Lewis O'Brien from Huddersfield, Jesse Lingard on a free, and Aurel Mangala from Stuttgart. And they'll probably signed five more just to add to this. Uh, Dave, I'll start with you. I know you really like their business. Um, it's a lot of turnover, but yes. almost similarly to Aston Villa three years ago, they had 100 people on loan the season previous, so they had to fix their squad. Forest almost a similar spot to them. If they survive, it feels like a really good spot to build from, but it's a lot of turnover in the summer. It is a lot. It is an awful lot. But I think in basically every position bar one, they have upgraded on the player they had last season. So... They bring in Dean Henderson. He's unquestionably a significant upgrade on Bryce Samba. Um, they bring in Wayne Hennessy as the backup goalkeeper. Again, that's an upgrade on what they had last year. He's not great, but he's a solid, proven Premier League operator who knows what it is to be in a relegation scrap, knows what it is to be in and around the bottom half of the table. So he will help. Um Nico Williams is a downgrade from Jed, uh, Jed Spence, in my view, and I do think they overpaid a bit from for him, but I can see the logic in bringing him in. I think he fits much better as a wing-back than he would as a full-back anywhere else, and I think under Steve Cooper, he'll improve. Omar Richards is a really good get at left wing-back. He's an upgrade on what they had there last year. Um, I mean, they had Max Lowe in on loan. He got hurt, and they were playing that midfielder whose name I forget is uh, up your neck of the woods guy. What's his bloody name? Jack. Ginger Pilo. Um Yeah, Ginger Pilo. Callback. Callback. Yes, yes, Jack Callback. Yes, that's exactly what it is. He's just a better wingback than him by, you know, by proxy of being an actual wingback. Uh, Nick at centre-back is a quality player. He's an upgrade from Steve Cook. It allows McKenna to play in the central role and Nick Hatter to play left of that three. That's a really strong three with Joe Worrell, McKenna, and him. So I like the defence. I think it's going to be strong. Cooper, we know, can coach a defence. We saw it at Swansea. We've seen it at Forest. Mangala's a really good get for 11 or 12 million to come in, replace... What type of player is he there? Because I'm sure... Ball-winning box-to-box player. Right, okay. So he's going to be aggressive. He's going to be a good ball carrier. He he's had a little bit of a stagnant twelve months. Like a year ago, people were talking about him for about twenty five million, mm. and Stuttgart kept hold of him. And he had a bit of a they had a they had a crap season, and he had a bit of a dodgy year. But I think it's a really good get. He's a better player now. 
in James Garner, who they, they had on loan last year. Um, they bring in Awaniye, who's just a very, very good player, had a really good season last year in the uh, Bundesliga for Union Berlin. They had obviously had Keenan Davies in on loan from Aston Villa, who's a good player. They couldn't get him back, so they went for, for Teu. So it's a really good signing. They spent big money, but it's worth it. They bring in Lewis O'Brien, another quality operator in midfield. Leeds tried to sign him last summer. He's more than Premier League ready. Biancone, I think it's a clever signing. Covers centre-back and right wing-back. Good on the ball, solid defensively. Young, can be developed. Uh, bring in Harry Tofolo. So they get a second left-wing-back option in. Another good player. Was very good for Huddersfield last season. Uh, Aguilera is I, I, the one I don't know anything about, and he's gone on loan immediately. And then they signed Jesse Lingard. Now, he's the only one that I'm not entirely sure on. But at the same time, he does fit what they want. He is a dynamic goal-scoring option in that number 10 position. So him behind Wanee and Brennan Johnson mm-hmm. should work well. He'll play every game, so it should work for him. He's going to be motivated to try and make the England squad. My belief is that the only reason he took this move and not the move to Saudi Arabia for the 14 million a year or whatever they were offering him is to make the World Cup squad. I think it's a really good window. I know it's a lot of players in, but I think every single player makes sense for them. I don't think they've just made signings for the sake of signings. They get two quality players in midfield to add to the to Yates, who's a good player, and to Colback, who's fine as depth. Two quality options at left wing back. A good option to cover right wing back and centre back. They get the right wing back. They get centre back help. They upgrade the goalkeeper position. All told, I think they're better in every area. Now, putting it all together quickly is the key. But if you look at Steve Cooper and what he's done last season, he took over a mess. They were nailed to the bottom of the league and he immediately turned things around. And from when he took over to the end of the season, they're the best team in the championship. They're better than Fulham, who won the league at a canter. If you look at him at Swansea, he had heavy turnover of squad both years. So he's a manager who can work quickly with players and turn things around. And I think he's going to do really well. I think they're going to surprise a lot of people this season. I think they're going to be better than people expect them to be. I think they're going to finish 14th. And I don't think they're finished in the market either. I wouldn't be surprised there's one more forward option that comes in. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, Just, well, why not spend more money? Um, I have them 16th. So, yeah, I I think they'll be the the Brentford of this crop where they just stay up. Um, A bit patchy at times, but it's a newly promoted team. Uh, Kyle, your your thoughts on this and, and where they'll finish? I mean, echo a lot of what they've said there in terms of the numbers. It is a really, really big team-building job. Um, But Steve Cooper has habitually been in charge of teams, really, which that has been a big requirement for. And I'm even talking here about um, his days with the England youth team setups. You're not with the group of players for very, very long there. You've got to get them, obviously, competition ready very quickly. You've got to be able to, let's say navigate different levels of egos because at youth international mm-hmm. level especially you've got a lot of people who are like you know trying to make it at United and Arsenal and all the rest of it and also people who are 
playing in the second tier or maybe even a little bit lower down than that sometimes. So it's a big mix. Um, I I know that there's a little bit of a worry from some people in terms of like you know, the wages which have been paid out for Jesse Lingard and that kind of thing. And, you know, our people who were in the squad last year, you know, people like uh, Joe Lolly or Ryan Yates or whatever are going to be a bit put out by it. And I don't really think that they can be, to be perfectly honest. I mean, none of us here think Jesse Lingard is like a world-class player or anything like that, but he's got more caps than anybody else in that squad at international level. Mm. He's got goals in an FA Cup final, in League Cup final. He was part of the squad which won the Europa League. So these are things which might not make him world-class, but do make him stand out as considerably better than anyone who was at that club last year. So I think that if you you know, frame it in a certain way, I don't believe it would be that much of a problem as, as is sometimes made out actually anyway. Uh, within the club or within a working environment or dressing room or anything like that. But if it was, I think all of those things kind of stack up that Lingard, yes, actually has been better than everybody who's there. Um, yeah. It's still a big job to to mould all these new faces who have been in all these different clubs with all the different expectations and cultures and everything else into the group that you had last year and the way that they were. Because the reason that Forrest were for a large period of that early reign of his uh, better than everybody else was how quickly he got them to pull in the same direction how quickly he got them working as a, a really really good unit and all massively positive about the prospects that they had for the season and everything else now I don't think that there are too many there of the players that they brought in as far as I know who are anything other than ridiculously hard working players mm. I mean you think of uh, we know obviously the couple of them like um, Necker Williams and all the rest of it, Dean Henderson we've seen them go to crappy clubs on loan and be really, really well spoken about in training and have spoken in the media about their intentions to work hard to get a first team place at the bigger clubs that they're already at. People like um, Taiwa Wani, I know is like ridiculously highly spoken of in terms of his training ethic and things like that. Oro Magala is another one the same. So I think that there's a, a pretty clear pattern here that they brought in people yeah. who, uh, apart from the fact that they're better than what they had, are also of a mindset and of a mentality to come in and do the work which is needed. Omar Richards is another one. Uh, in that regard as well. Yeah, he's very highly spoken of at Bayern yeah. for his his attitude, his, his dedication day to day. And like, you know, there's a strong dressing room there with the likes of Steve Cook, who's been around, seen it all. Joe Worrell, natural leader. Scott McKenna, natural leader. Uh, Jack Callback's been around a long time, seen a lot. Ryan Yates showed that he's a leader last season. I think, you know, if you look at the midfield group of, Mangala, Yates, O'Brien and Ojeda as sort of the four who'll play most regularly in the midfield too, with Cafu and Colbeck, you know, a squad squad fattening out. Lingard is that number 10 behind the striker where Zinkernagel played last year. And then Surich, Awaniyi, Brennan Johnson and Alex Mighton up front. Joe Lolly is another experienced squad player. Like there's a nice balance there of youth, quality and experience. And some of them have all three, you know, like Joe Worrell's been around a long time. He knows what it takes to be at that club and it matters to him. And you've got him who came to the academy. You've got Yates came to the academy. Brennan Johnson and Alex Mighton came to the academy. This matters to them. They've grown up at that club. Even someone like Jordan Smith, who's 27 now, he'll be third choice keeper going into the season. He's been at the club since he was a kid. All of these lads have grown up hearing about Clough, hearing about Collymore, Brian Roy, Frank Clark, that really good Forest team that came up and made a bit of a splash and then obviously got sold off and, and fell out of the league. 
they've all grown up at that club with the pressure of this is Nottingham Forest, two-time European Cup winner. This club belongs in the Premier League. So every one of them lads will go that extra mile to keep this club in the Premier League. And with the players they've brought in, they've looked at a certain age profile. Every one of the players they've brought in, bar Wayne Hennessy, who is a free and is just a depth goalkeeper, and and uh, Lingard, who's 29, they're all in that sort of 22 to 25, 26 sort of age group. These aren't just signings for now. These are long-term signings. This is Steve Cooper building a squad that can grow together over the next two to three years and in future summers will only need one or two good additions to keep up. They're not going to have any illusions about it. <laughs> well, yeah, but like they, they, they're going to know their place in the food chain. They know they're coming up year one, stay in the league, year two, stay in the league, and year three, start to establish yourself as a good mid-table team. And that's where they're going to live, in the mid-table of the Premier League. And I think they'll be more than happy with that. And what Cooper's done this summer, with really good help from his recruitment team, is he's bought players that can come in and guide them to that with a little bit of experience and plenty of talent. So, you know, they've bought a lot of players, but look, look at the fees paid. Like, it's not like they've spent 150 million here. I think they're at about 75, 80 million for the summer. That's not bad at all for what they've brought in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, as I said, I think they'll be the Brentford and, and Leeds in their first year of this bunch. Um, uh, Carl, I don't think you said where they'd finish. 17th, I've been staying up. Um, I think that there'll be a big group of those teams, Everton and. Brentford, all those are pretty interchangeable points-wise, just about obviously getting the consistency. I don't really know too much about the, the Huddersfield boys that they brought in, Lewis O'Brien, Harry to follow mm-hmm. right now because he played obviously before. But um, I'm not sure how much they add because I don't know what they've done. But even, I mean, people like uh, Moose Niakate, for example, coming in, speaking of like the dressing room and how well they trained and everything, he was captain at Mainz. You know, he's, he's a player who's held in really high stand and he was another one who was wanted across the continent. So I, I think that they've put a lot of emphasis on that side of things in their recruitment this summer. And I think that that as much as anything else should help them stay up. So, yeah. Perfect. Uh, I think that is it. I will put, I've made graphics of all three of our tables in a couple of days. If you've listened, I'll, I won't spoil the pod, but I'll put it, I'll put them out on the socials. I'll put them out on the, on discord after a couple of days. So I don't spoil the podcast, but I won't recap them here because it'll take too bloody. They time. are subject to change based on what happens in the next month. They are absolutely. But, I have them in. I have them in writing now. So if they are funnily bad, I will expose you two and delete mine. Um, so there we are. Well, that's it from me. I probably won't be on this podcast till next. Pre- oh no, we're doing the draft, aren't we? We'll yeah. be back then. Um, but then these two will be back for another AI scouted, basically in five minutes because we're going to do another one. Uh, but thank you, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Anfield Index, 
and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.